Welcome back to another episode of the 704 Cast. We have a new head coach. Frank Reich has been named head coach of the Carolina Panthers. We'll break it all down for you this episode. Corey and Wes, how are you guys? Doing good, man. Ready to be back and talk some more Carolina Panther football. Excited for the head coach search to be over. Was kind of anxious about it all and uh, ready to talk about it. Doing good, man. I'm glad that we finally have that saga settled and have a coach for the future. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, after the the process that seemed like it was never going to end, we finally got to the uh, light at the end of the tunnel last week. I believe we recorded Tuesday night and said that we thought a hiring was near. And then Wednesday, word broke. uh, Yeah, Wednesday, word broke that that Frank Reich – uh, was named head coach of the Panthers. Had the press conference yesterday at Bank of America Stadium. I believe Frank got up there and spoke for roughly 35 minutes or so. Took some questions uh, from reporters and local media uh, about the hiring, what his philosophy would be. Uh, really kind of talked about how the Carolinas was home to him. It did a good job. Uh, we had several players there in the front row, Jeremy Chin, I- I- Icky, Dante Jackson, some others. Uh, it was pretty cool to see. Uh, you know, Tepper didn't rent out the – practice dome, practice bubble, and make it feel like a, a church revival like uh, he did with Matt Rule. And we didn't get the uh, used car salesman pitch that we did where he looked like he had researched everything about the franchise before getting up there and trying to sell us on himself. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on uh, Frank Reich hiring and the uh, press conference yesterday? Yeah, the players, um, there wasn't this uh, mass mutiny of players that some of the national pundits were calling for since Steve Wilkes didn't get hired. Um, but um, overall, you know, from a press conference standpoint, it was everything I thought you wanted to hear. Um, listening to it live, um, I just remember sitting back two years ago listening to Matt Rule, and um, I'm not going to lie, like I fell hook, line, and sinker for everything that Matt Rule was selling. Um, but this just felt a lot different hearing Frank Reich speak um, about his vision um, and what it takes to build um, success um, in his five pillars. Um, I, I, it just felt like it was a professional in the room um, for lack of a better term, like a grown up in the building, kind of like a, a pun there. Um, but yeah, it just, it was a, it was just a different feeling. Um, and um, I'm hopeful again, um, they do this to me a lot, <laughs> you know, the roller coaster of emotions that being a Panthers fan is. Um, but yeah, um, I am all on board the, the Frank Wright train until further notice. So, yeah, I, I have nothing bad to say about Frank or the press conference. It was, it was, I think a breath of fresh air to, to hear not bullshit coach speak, but like real, knows what he's talking about coach speak. And and that that was very different from the Matt Rule era. Um <laughs> and and so that was that was nice. Uh a couple things that I first of all the the reporter that asked him about the turf that was we can talk about that later. That was ridiculous. Um but a couple things that I that really stood out to me. One mentioning kind of the defense as a whole being uh, a unit that's pretty much already there. And so that's, that stood out to me and that, that I think 
it signals to probably bringing back some of the guys that that we want to bring back, Frankie, and 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 that's my hope at least that that defense is you're kind of gonna you kind of got your core that you're used to. It's gonna stick there. And then he mentioned the offensive line and the skill positions, and he mentioned uh, Dante by uh, uh, by name there. And those were those were some telling pieces to me as to kind of like, hey, we we feel that we are a quarterback away. And and Scott and Scott has always said, like you build around it, and then you you kind of place that rookie contract in for a quarterback. And so that's just that just felt like what all that was leading up to everything yesterday from Frank's press conference to the things that Scott said after the press conference. It just, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to all that yesterday. Yeah, you're right. I don't want to take anything away from uh, what Frank said yesterday, but the big piece was kind of what Scott said afterwards. Um, Just saying that, you know, if you have a conviction that you, you know, you have a guy in this draft that you really want to go up and get, you know, you got to take that chance. And he feels like, you know, he basically said it without saying it, but, that we're in a position now where we can make that type of move. You know, if that is jumping up to say a, a three or even a one with Chicago and going up and getting the, the number one overall pick for, for your guy. I mean, we've kind of set the team up to where that's, that's really all we're lacking. And, you know, he, he had an interview with Will Kunkel and, and was basically saying, you know, the NFC South is up for grabs and they're going to go for it, whether it be in, you know, free agency or the draft. So, you know, we're, we're looking at maybe a CJ Stroud move up to get Bryce Young. I know you two guys would be extremely happy uh, with that since y'all have opinions on each prospect. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing to take away from either of those guys, but you know, exciting times uh, with the Brady uh, retirement news that broke today. Uh, you know, Scott's exactly right. You know, now's the chance to, to make that move. And uh, Frank touched on it in his press conference that, that Tepper relayed to him that we know we want the best in here and, and money's not an option. You know, we know we know Dave doesn't have a problem with opening up that checkbook. Uh, we can touch about the Vic Fangio uh, BS that's flying around later on as we we get past Frank. But I, I think he's basically said Tepper said, uh, you know, you, you've got all the, the world to go out and get the best and, and build this staff. And, you know, we've kind of seen it today with the, the Deuce Staley news. Um, going in and getting an assistant from from Detroit. You know, hey, if we can't get Ben Johnson, we're leaving here with something that and, that really. Uh, just to add, to pile on that, that really felt like a Ben was our guy. We didn't get him, so let's go take his right hand man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you see all the stuff. If you watched Hard Knocks this year, you'll see you know how engaged Deuce Staley was. And I mean, look at the Detroit Lions, you know, running attack. They had a, a great line, and you know, some good coaching there with Deuce with behind Jamal and uh, DeAndre Swift, and even used Justin Jackson at times. So, you know, regardless of who running back is next year, whether that's Deontay or you know, they roll with Chuba or they signed somebody with this deep class, even a uh, Jamal Williams uh, from Detroit. That's a free agent this offseason as well. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm really excited about that hire and, and what Deuce Daly can, can do for the offense and to uh, help out a potential rookie quarterback behind that uh, that offensive line. Yeah, and I think the, the, the Deuce Staley hire also it's – uh, an NFL guy, uh, an NFL player, somebody who is, has an NFL pedigree in the room. It's not a bunch of college buddy cronies <laughs> in the room, you know? So I think, you know, that, that was significant for me, it being the first of, um, you know, many to come. And I'm excited to see how this, this staff is shaping up, shaping out. Um, but to have Deuce on board, you know, that's happening. You know, that that's a good first step. 
Um, you know, I didn't always agree with the usage of Jamal and DeAndre Swift up in Detroit. I don't know how much of that was Deuce and how much of that was Ben or how much of that was Dan Campbell. I don't know. Um, but that being said, I think Deuce is a good addition to to that staff. Um, and the things they did up in Detroit, if he can bring some of that run game up here, which I think that's what it'll be, end up being is like a run game coordinator role, running backs coach, something like that. Um, I think that'll be uh, nothing but a positive. So um, that's exciting. Um, and and then back to Frank Reich, I mean, kind of one of those guys that like none of – we didn't talk about at all. I don't think any of us thought that that was a serious thing um, until the last couple, you know, hours before it happened. And then or the last time we recorded the day before um, and to not be like on my list of preferred candidates, I, I'm kind of slapping myself when I really went back and looked at what he accomplished in Indianapolis. Um, you know, had, having a winning record as a head coach in the NFL is, is, is a, is a great thing. Everybody's favorite coach around here, Ron Rivera doesn't have a winning record in the NFL. Um, and Frank Reich does. Um, he was, I think, 40 and 33, 40 and 30, 40, 33 and one as a head coach. Um, went to the playoffs twice in his five years or four point, you know, two five years uh, in Indianapolis. And that's with six different quarterbacks. Let me say that again six different quarterbacks. That is absolutely like, it's just crazy. I mean, we see it here. We can't win five games um, with the, the the trash we've been putting behind center. Um, and this man took a team to the playoffs with, you know, freaking Jacoby Brissett. Well, it was uh, Phillip Rivers um, first. So, yeah, it's, I'm excited. So, now, how, how refreshing was it for a coach to get up there and not give excuse? He was asked about, you know, what went wrong in Indianapolis and what have you oh, learned man. from it? And he – you know, he, he gave legit answers. There was no BS that Matt Rule, you know, would have spewed out like I need to watch the tape or we'll go back and, and watch that or, uh, you know, just execution, things like that. You know, I thought Frank, I had more time, guys. I thought I had more time. Yeah. So, if I knew we on. didn't have time, I would have done something. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's, so it's nice to actually have, I don't want to say an adult uh, in the building, but accountability. Uh, yeah. 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 That's accountability. I'll, I'll say it. It's nice to have an adult in the building that doesn't tweet out emojis all damn day while he's talking to kids on you're the not, recruiting trail. You're not one of us. That's Apparently, right. if you listen to Bussin, he's like taking shots at other coaches with his emojis somehow. Yeah, he said uh, he that I, I listened that whole episode. I hate listened to every minute of Matt Rule's interview with him, and. Yeah, it's all it's about recruiting like uh, certain recruits. It's about other coaches, other people. Like Weird. he's he is a child. Yeah, he's an immature child. Uh, that's why you see that arbitration case come out today with him trying to uh, say that the Panthers haven't paid him. It, I'll touch on that just for a second because I don't I don't want to get off on a Matt Rule tangent to take away from the news yesterday. But basically, from from reading through Jonathan Jones is that they're arguing over $5 million. There's language in the contract where the contract can't increase to a ridiculous amount. So what he did was try to backload the Nebraska contract so he could get more money out of the Panthers up front. So they're trying to adjust the, the five, $5 million that they agreed to pay 
each year to now he wants 12 million this year. So that's a little, well, excuse me, seven to 12, but that's where the issue's coming in. And I'm guessing that the Panthers are going to argue that that is a massive jump versus the salary that they agreed to. So I'm sure they'll sort it out, but you know, that, that I wonder how much of his little media tour that he goes on is, is for certain reasons. So he can keep his name out there and try to look like the good guy before this type of stuff breaks. And the worst part about it is, man, uh, you know, you go on Twitter and you go on like social media platforms and forums and these poor Nebraska fans, they're just so starved for, uh, for relevancy. Like they're just buying into his freaking crap hook, line and sinker, just like we Panthers fans did. There were some of us who didn't, and I was not one of those people. I was all full bore Matt rule. So I will hundred percent admit that. Um, but man, they are, they are in for a rude awakening. <laughs> you got to tell Nebraska fans now that, Hey, when, when things aren't going well, the process is working. You just, you just can't see it. Yeah. So keep, keep that in mind when, when uh, Dion uh, mops the mops the field with them uh, come week two next year. <laughs> but I don't, wait. yeah, like I said, I don't want to spend too much uh, time looking at the past and, and the, <laughs> the previous head coach. Uh, I, I think it's it's exciting times here. I, I know Frank wasn't the preferred candidate. Uh, you know, the I don't want to say majority of the fan base, but for maybe at least half the fan base. Uh, I, so I now surrounding kind of seeing what that that staff is going to look like. Maybe that'll turn some heads. Uh, I know a lot of people just really pulled for Steve Wilkes, and you know, like we we talked about, Steve did a great job here last year. Um, and, and Scott kind of touched on it. That that second interview is where Frank really separated himself. And, you know, it seems like, hey, going out there and taking the initiative to interview other guys and building the coaching staff and then coming back to a second interview and saying, hey, these are the guys that I got coming with me. And some people called uh, bullshit on that, saying that he didn't have anybody, that nobody was committed. And then we see news break today after he agreed to retain uh, Chris Tabor and um, James Camp and that he actually did have somebody ready to go. So I think Deuce's first name, or the first domino to fall uh, this week, maybe we'll have a couple more position coaches named uh, before shoring up a defensive coordinator, which we'll touch on later, and uh, also offensive coordinator. I mean, there's a chance that Deuce is offensive coordinator um, because we he does have to get a promotion, and he was assistant head coach and running backs coach. He so does have got- to get a promotion. The Lions released him. Oh, they did? Yeah, because of his his mom's um, going through some health stuff, and she lives here in the Carolinas, um, South Carolina. So the Lions just – I mean, that's, just, again, just an A-plus organization at this point. I didn't – I did not see that. That's awesome. Yeah, they just released him so um, to allow him to go and be closer to his mom. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's they did right by him. And, and yeah. Deuce played at the University of South Carolina, so he's got some local ties to the area. And obviously, Corey, as you mentioned, his family is still around too. So, I mean, just seems like it's a perfect situation. I mean, Frank coached with him in Philadelphia, so he's got the previous connection with him. And like we just touched on, I mean, really excited to what, what Deuce can do and could be the end up being the offensive coordinator. Frank did say that he enjoys calling plays and feels like he does a, a good job with them. I know we kind of talked about that, but – uh, as far as offensive coordinator, do you think that that hire matters as much as it potentially would have with a, a Wilkes or a, another guy? Or would you be fine with them bringing in a guy who can just kind of follow in Frank's shoes and just kind of support him with his play calling? It doesn't matter as much, but I would like 
I'd still like to take a shot at a quarterback whisperer type of guy like a Brian Johnson. Um, so that it doesn't matter as much though. Wilkes had to had to have a home run offensive coordinator, but Wright doesn't have to. Yeah, I don't think that it necessarily matters in the grand scheme of things. However, I do think that as many different voices that you know, the, as many smart people as you can put in one room together. Um, is is never going to be a bad thing. So if, you know, if he surrounds himself with with guys um, and they can kind of throw ideas together and you know go with the best route of of things and maybe see things from different lenses and different point of views and challenge each other, I think that is the real secret sauce to success. And um, with Frank, um, you know, he's smart. Um, I'm actually going to throw a shout out. I listen to. Uh, I know a lot of people in the podcasting world don't do this a whole lot. And I think it's silly. You know, I give credit where credit is due. I listened to the Panthers on tap podcast earlier today and it was a good episode. They had a guy that's a Colts, um, like does a Colts podcast and runs a, a, a fan website. And he was talking about how, just how complex Frank Reich's offensive system is um, and how he excited we as Panthers fans should be and how smart of a offensive coach he is. Um, and that was really good to hear. Um, and I think that in, in he, you know, that therein lies the issues with why it went wrong in Indianapolis is he does have such a complex offense that has so many layers that I don't think he was ever able to get to those layers because he never had any consistency at quarterback. So you get a young quarterback in here on a rookie deal and build year over year, um, with a, a, a staff supporting him, um, and him able to finally allow his full vision of offense to to flourish, you know, in a two to three year window, then I I think, man, the future is extremely bright. And um, they seem to be doing all the right things this time. Um, we're not there yet. Um, you know, I'm going to keep keep objective uh, and keep, you know, rolling with the punches as they come. But it, it seems like this time around they are at least attempting to do this thing the right way. And that should have all of us excited. Yeah, you make a good point there. Uh, and, and don't forget this, you know, Frank Reich had Carson Wentz playing. Well, Carson Wentz would have won the MVP uh, that year in 2017 that they won the Super Bowl if he didn't go down and get hurt. Yeah, and then, you know, his, his most productive year since then was, you know, under Frank Reich in Indianapolis. I think he finished with like 27 touchdowns and seven interceptions. And, and don't forget, I mean, Doug Peterson, who just led the Jaguars to playoffs, you know, he basically got fired in Philadelphia because he couldn't do anything with with uh, Carson Wentz after Frank got fired. So, or excuse me, after after Frank left for Indianapolis. Well, and uh, didn't really get along with the front office, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a tough task for anybody not named Jeff Saturday, right? <laughs> But yeah, I, I'm I'm just excited for the direction that Frank's going to take us in. It, it just, I the breath of fresh air just keep the, that saying just keeps coming to to mind after watching that press conference. I just that's that's my takeaway. Great guy, great coach, and uh, just I'm excited. Yeah, I, and I told myself like this cycle. I was, you know, whoever we ended up going with, I was just going to not do what I did with Brule and just be blinded by my 
hope and by my wants and my, you know, need for the Panthers to, to, to have success and look at it objectively. And for someone who wasn't even like on my initial want list, um, man, yeah, he just, he's got, he's got me, he's got me right now. So, um, yeah, I'm excited, man. I, I, I did some digging yesterday because I know we had touched on this back in like November. I remember sending the text and I pulled it up yesterday in our, our group message and uh, it was sent first in November before Frank even got fired. And I said, if Wright gets fired, would y'all be interested? And it was pretty much just indifferent. You know, we didn't think that he'd be a candidate or somebody we'd bring in. And then two weeks later, there's a message from Corey saying uh, people that I trust are, are high on Reich and and then just seeing the progression, seeing actually it come to fruition of something we talked about in November before it was a possibility was just just cool to see and look back on. So I thought I thought that was pretty funny. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's switching gears just a little bit. Um, touch on the Steve Wilkes part portion. Of we, this. Hold on. Before we get into that, before we get into that, I don't mean to cut you off. Oh, go ahead. I just wanted to piggyback off something Wes said earlier because it really pissed me off. Uh, at the press conference, before we get off the whole press conference thing, I want to make it a point to say that I knew this was going to happen with people, fans. I did not know that professional media would take it this far. That reporter from the Charlotte Vibe who asked the question about the playing service, you knew exactly what you were doing. You knew that you were putting Frank Reich on his introductory press conference into a no-win situation of an answer, and it was simply to prove a point that you're upset that Steve Wilkes is not the head coach. You had a personal agenda that you were pushing as a professional. All right. And you have a angry mob of fans behind you that are going to support you and say, you're doing a good job as a reporter by asking that question. When in reality, you're not because the head coach at any, you know, maybe Bill Belichick. All right. But as far as I know, they play on turf. All right. Maybe Bill Belichick has a say. If if Bill Belichick said, hey, no, I want natural grass, maybe that happens. But I don't know many NFL coaches around the league that have the power to go up to the front office and say, I want to switch to natural grass because I have some players that don't want to play on turf. All right? That's not a question for a head coach. That's a question for David Tepper. Okay? I don't even think it's a question for Scott Fitterer. That's a question for David Tepper, not the head coach. Do better. You are a professional media member in Charlotte. Do better. That was and, ridiculous. And it's not just that one question or that thing. There are uh, several credentialed media members of oh, the yeah. Panthers yeah, trying to stir, trying to stir shit up. And they and people drool over them like they are just the greatest things in Charlotte media, and they do do a good job most of the time. But, but they they thrive off of the, the the clicks that they get from that that stick stirring though they do yeah. some of those that 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 do that and it's just it's frustrating because I just want good coverage of the team and I, it that doesn't need to be part of Frank's introductory press conference it just doesn't no it's not Speaking fair to him it's not fair to him no you both are right that's a question for Dave Tepper and he's the one that made the decision to replace the you know the the, the natural grass that we had which was arguably you know speaking or listening to people around the league talk one of the best playing surfaces in the National Football League but it would have been a great chance to ask Dave at some point yesterday with all the media availability especially before the whole uh, Beyonce concert was announced today uh, at Bank of America so 
perfect perfect chance there to to actually ask the man whose uh, decision it was, not the guy who has been on the, the turf once, which was with his family to take pictures. Yeah, and wow. And I know we all know this, but how cool of a story is it that the the, the guy to throw the first career or the first franchise touchdown in history is now the head coach. That's, that's just cool. That's a great story to go along with him being a good coach too. Yeah. Like I had no idea that his family like was still here. Uh, Yeah. I didn't, I knew he, he played here obviously, but I didn't, I did not know that Charlotte was home for him. No. Yeah. So that his kids was raised here and everything. So it's like, you know, the Carolinas was always a place that they were going to come back to. And now to, you know, to be there from the in the beginning, and I, I think it was cool yesterday where he, he talked about Sam Mills a little bit and said, you know, what it would be like if Sam was still here and up here. You know, he, he said he might not be having this conversation because you know, Sam might be the head coach of the Panthers. Uh, so I, I just thought that was cool uh, to listen to him talk about playing at Clemson and talking about the 95 season. I mean, it's just, you know, somebody who's who's literally was here in the beginning and, you know, now came back around. I mean, that's just stuff that, you know, it's kind of storybook you know, movies are made of. So I, I saw a tweet go vi- semi-viral in the Panthers Twitter world of of from one of his daughters. That's it was a picture of uh, her when she first met her uh, husband, and he was it was him in a Panther shirt. And it's like he finally gets to put his Panthers gear back on. And he meant and and Frank mentioned this in the press conference, but she said that like he finally gets to wear his Panthers gear again. He was a lifelong Panthers fan, and then when we got married, he became a Frank fan. So he was, um, he's just followed where Frank was at, and so now he gets to be a Panthers fan again. So that that's just cool. That's cool stuff, man. This family is a Panthers family. We don't have somebody coming in here and trying to rebrand everything. It's somebody who who knows about it. Was I mean, shit, he, he played with Sam Mills. I mean, that's that stuff matters. You know, you can. I, I get everything with Steve Wilkes and all the story. This just this shit's cool. It's, it's just a cool layer to it. But switching back to what I was going to mention with Steve Wilkes, uh, you know, he obviously is not going to move forward with the Panthers, even though he's under contract, um, has gotten some requests to interview for defensive coordinator, uh, most notably from the San Francisco 49ers that came out yesterday as they're trying to replace D'Amico Ryans. And then you got Vic Fangio also out there potentially, but it seems like, um, like I said, Frank kind of separated himself in that second interview, but it seems like the Brian Johnson smoke was actually true. Uh, I read an article that Johnson had agreed to, to come with Wilkes if Wilkes got the job. So, you know, with that out there, I know we, we talked about we wanted to see what a, what a Wilkes staff, you know, would potentially look like. Does that change anything for you guys, um, you know, knowing what we know now versus the Frank hiring? No. No, I mean, I think we kind of expected that to be the yeah. the candidate yeah. when we talked about it, and it just still wasn't, to me, still wasn't the lead op- option. It was just not – not the right fit for me long-term with the direction of change. I, I think that the team needed a reset and a re um, just a new offensive mentality going forward. And when you have that defensive minded head coach, that's been here through the Rivera era and, and just is part of that tree. I just don't think it was going to happen. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I want Brian Johnson. I would love Brian Johnson on the staff now, but I mean, at the end of the day, um, Brian Johnson is a quarterback coach who who hasn't called plays, so um, we don't know what he is as an offensive coordinator. I, I like. I, I want to say he hasn't called plays in the NFL, but you know, I like 
the idea of him on a staff and in an OC role, like under Frank, more than more so than just having the 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 keys to the car handed to him by Wilkes, because we don't know what he is. You know, I, I mean, I, I, we've never seen him call plays at the NFL level. I know that Florida isn't great on offense without him. Um, they have some some scheme problems that we'll talk about later in the draft process with one of my favorite prospects. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, it doesn't change anything for me. Um, like, you hit it perfectly, Wes. We need, a, we need a reset, all right? We need to wash off that whole era. Uh, and it's, a t- it's a tough because that, that's an era that, man, that we had some of our best memories, all right? Some of the best players that we've ever had in this organization played during that era. But it, it's time – for fans to kind of let that go, you know, like move on a little bit and welcome in a new era and uh, get that new era established and make, you know, have new all-time great players, new favorite coaches, new favorite moments, all right? And I, and we've been starved for those moments the past couple of years. But, um, you know, I, I like you said, I think this, this front office realized that, that it's, you know, it's time for, for, a new direction and it hurts, you know, it's like letting go of a part of yourself kind of, but it, you know, it's time to move out of that, move out of the 2010s and, you know, into the the 2020s for, you know, if that makes sense to you guys, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It does. And Corey, I'll throw back at you. It's kind of piggybacking off of what you just said, but Tepper's comments yesterday when, talking about how many, how many rule changes happen each year to benefit offense. And that's why he decided to go with an offensive hire. And that's why it was so important to him. You know, you've been pounding the table for years. I, I think we both have about trying to get an offensive minded guy here. What are your thoughts on, on what he said yesterday? And I mean, I'm sure it echoes, uh, you know, some, some feelings that you've had for a while now. I, I, I mean, Again, I'm, I hate to be doing this because everybody hates him so much, but Tepper's right, dude. He, Tepper is 100% spot on. You can call it a generalization. You can call it all these different things, but he is 150% right. And, you know, I, I know that people want – and I've said it, let the football guys do the football things, but he has been saying what I have been saying, like you said, since 2014, honestly. Like – it's not the same old NFL. It's it's not, you know, ground and pound, defense wins championships, yada, yada, yada. It's it's not that anymore. And it's, there's a lot of people out there that still cling to that and think that it can be that. And I mean, it's just not. It's just not. Um, with the, the rules, the rule changes every year, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, it is so hard to play great defense in today's NFL. Like you have to basically just have a defense that's just built with like all pro studs at nine of eleven positions, like like the the Eagles and and the Eagles still, you know, are aren't aren't perfect. And the Niners, number one defensive league, isn't perfect. I mean, they just gave up thirty one to to the Eagles. So, I mean, it's just really, really, really challenging to play great defense. Whereas you know, if you have somebody with offensive innovation, it's geared towards being easier for you. So why not take the easier path with the more opportunities for success? I mean, it just makes 
sense in anything that you do, you know? So the opportunities are so much greater on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, do I like it? I mean, sure, I don't, you know, I'm kind of indifferent to it. Uh, right. But I, you can't deny that watching the chiefs, watching the Eagles, watching these high powered teams is fun. All right. It makes it entertaining. All right. We haven't had that since 2015. Uh, and that's, what I want. And I think that's what fans want. And that's what Tepper, I think realizes about like the fringe fans, the young fans, that's what they want. And if you want to put butts in the seats at bank of America stadium, you need to have an offense that quite frankly, for lack of a better term, isn't boring. So. And I think one thing that kind of, mask you mentioned the butts in the seats thing and this is we're getting I guess I'm getting off on a little tangent here but one thing that really didn't bring that as much to light in the past is Charlotte is Charlotte Bank of America still sells tickets people still show up yeah. with Charlotte yeah. being a transplant place and I remember going and seeing 29 30 31 different NFL jerseys at games people were just there to have a fun Sunday um but the fans weren't the, the, the those like you said those fringe fans weren't showing up there's just people who wanted to come to a football game to drink and have fun. And I think slowly Tepper started to realize that, yes, I, I'm selling tickets, but it's not that the atmosphere sucks. The fans aren't, the fans aren't here. This, these aren't fans. These are just people watching a football game and then some PSLs who are fans and they're pissed off. And so it's just, I, I think that kind of masked how the fact that he was still selling tickets masked how bad things were in the fan base there for a little bit. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. You think about it. I mean, when Tepper bought the team, the only real portion that he's seen success or seen, you know, the fans actually come out and, and show him what bank of America stadium actually, you know, can be and what we're accustomed to seeing when things are good was the first half of 2018. And ever since then it's, you know, the, We've been on a downwards trend and you really haven't seen that. So I think, you know, this is a, ho a hopeful step in the right direction of, of getting those fans back and engaging. You know, uh, I, I don't want to beat a, a dead horse here, but, yeah, I think Te Tepper could probably help himself out a little bit more, right? Because, you know, 2018, he's out there at the riot tailgate. He's, you know, he's, he's everywhere. He could be seen. And then, you know, things went bad. He kind of went into hiding with the, the rule stuff and cam stuff and all that. And yeah. And I get it, but, you know – if they want to do this thing the right way, I mean, we're in a position with these draft picks from the McCaffrey trade and yeah, they're, you know, not as, as high as what we would have liked with San Francisco going on a run. But, you know, right now we have all the, the ammo to move up and, and get an exciting quarterback and to, to bring that feeling back here. Kind of like we did in 2010 when uh, we went from Clawson to Cam. Yeah. And I think Matt, you, you, you really hit a good point there. Um, I think too, that Tepper got to see what this environment can be and what Charlotte can be for Cam's return. That game versus Washington. All right, that place was electric. All right, I was there, and it was absolutely electric, and it was the best atmosphere I'd been to in a long, long time. And that's a team with a lot of transplant fans down here, and that stadium was rocking for the Panthers. All right. So I think he sees the power of having that guy at quarterback that everybody loves. And 
you pair that with a coach that's an offensive-minded head coach, and I think that's where you get special. All right, that's where those memories start getting made again. So it's a big offseason. Yeah, it, it's huge. Um, you think about Tepper's comments last time, you know, with Rome not being built in a day and, you know, having sustained success. And we've talked about that on previous episodes. But I, I think that this offseason is very important with the new regime coming in and wanting to do things right and, you know, not pussyfooting around and, and having those down years to start a new regime like we did with uh, the previous one. So, you know, if you can make that move and go up and get your quarterback, and we've seen that's kind of the formula to right to uh, to have rookie quarterbacks on rookie deals and, you know, build up other areas and spend money elsewhere to, you know, put the most talent around uh, the team and compete. You know, those first five years uh, of that that deal is very important. So I would love, you know, Scott, and, and he's not being shy. He, he's coming out and saying that, you know, this is something that we could do. You know, I would love to see them make a move and shit. If you want to move up to one, I mean, go for it. If you, you know, Bryce Young or CJ is your guy at one and God forbid it's not Will Levis, which I don't think it is, uh, you know, go up and go up and get that guy. Stop trying to do the retread of, of signing these reclamation projects and these old guys like, you know, uh, Derek Carr, or, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, which won't happen. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, things like that. Guys that don't really, but um, they're just more of the, of the game manager folding. They, you know, it's a, it's a lot of risk versus developing a guy and, and having the right people in the building around him. So. Not to get too much off on the draft topic that you mentioned there. Would you rather it be the one this year, nine, plus a bunch of stuff in the future? Or would you rather go ahead and just eat a bunch of sh- capital this year to go up and get it so let's say like nine the two seconds and something next year or would you rather it be nine and the first next year and the first in 20 in 25 too uh, i think having that extra second this year is is key for us right because we can still hold on to a potential second round pick this year give up one next year Vice versa. I mean, it's going to cost another first at some point, whether that's next year or the, or if we, you know, push it out to, you know, 25, heaven forbid. Uh, just it allows us to, and allow Scott to get creative on what he can give up. But I at least want to keep one of those second round picks this year. You can part with a third. I mean, we do have some double up picks later on, but I at least need one of those second round picks to potentially get, you know, a, a pass catching tight end or a, um, you know, a vertical wide receiver, which this offense is, is desperately going to need. Yeah, um, I think that holding on to one of those twos this year is is a big deal. Um, ultimately, if we have to part with both and it turns out to be the guy, I'm not going to care. Um, but I think holding on to one is, is, a, is a big deal. I think early on, the good thing about this draft, at least from the quarterback position, is, you know, and, you know, I, I've only really dug into this for hard for the past, a month, honestly. I mean, and we have a long way to go, but you know, the way I see it, there are three legitimate options. All right. And you can't say that in every draft. There are three legitimate options. All of them have amazing things that just make you say, wow, but all of them have some sort of, you know, however minor issue that people are going to point out and and home. So it's really just a matter of who the front office determines is the guy and where you have to go to get him. All right. Um, I think with one of the guys, I, mean, I don't want to get too much into it. I think with one of the guys, 
you can stay where you can stay at nine and not give up any assets. All right. But that's a topic for another podcast that we're going to get into ad nauseum in the coming months. Um, so the good news is I think it's a draft where you have options. Um, you have a multitude of different ways you can go. Um, unlike some of the previous few drafts. So, um, it's a good problem to have this year. I'll put it that way because, you know, you're not pigeonholed to one guy being just the guy or, you know, two guys that are just untouchable. You know what I'm saying? Because nobody's going to trade them away. So I, I think that's good. And I think you look at the top of the, the draft and then top 10, it really shaped up well um, for us with some of the teams that are up there. We don't have as much competition as, as we would have in other years. Now there's going to be teams that obviously need a quarterback that are, they're going to make late pushes for quarterback, but it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not as bad as it could be. It's not like we have to try and take uh, Malik Willis in the top 10 this year. Right. Ex- exactly. You know, it's, it's definitely not last year. That's for hundred percent sure. The Brady retiring does throw a wrinkle. Cause I was yeah. pretty convinced he was going to go to um, Vegas to the Raiders. So uh, what they do next is uh, being in front of us could throw another team. That's really looking up there in that top 10. So it's going to be an interesting three, four months for us to talk about that. And I don't, I don't remember exactly when the, what the, what the draft date is. What, what do anybody remember off the top of their head? Uh, in April. I don't know. You know, like what, what date, April. but it's yeah. Like literally the last weekend in April. Yeah. So we got, Basically, with the, this being the first weekend of February, we've got three months to talk about it. So we will a lot. Yeah, uh, we we should be in in Mobile this week, but man, that hurts. I, um, I'm having FOMO with the. I don't even think hey, we shared. I don't even think we shared that we got those cred- credentials. Hey, I was out. I was ready to go. These two clowns. Could yeah, have- Corey's right. We uh, yeah, yeah. We have our we have our jobs to blame for that one, unfortunately. <laughs> But throwing it on the calendar next year, uh, so we'll cover the the Senior Bowl hopefully in person uh, in, in Mobile next year. Uh, we, as Wes said, we we did get credentials for it, but unfortunately couldn't pull it off this year, uh, and that's that's partly due to me because I didn't find out that we could qualify for them and request them until last month, so it was a little tough to uh, put together at the last minute. So, but draft coverage obviously is something that that we pride ourselves on. If you Follow us on Twitter. You can see the videos already starting this week from the Senior Bowl. And like Corey kind of alluded to, he's got a lot of stuff that he wants to talk about. Uh, him and Wes both have some guys that they want to touch on. And we'll bring all that to you in, in further detail as we get closer to that. Um, but before we switch over to the defensive side of the ball and talk about the Vic Fangio, Chris Richard, Marquan Manuel stuff, uh, check this out. The stage is set for Super Bowl 57 in Arizona. And if you want to get in on the action – Download the DraftKings Sportsbook, official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 57. New customers right now can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new existing customers get a shot at bigger payout with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your Super Bowl 57 winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. Last week uh, was the conference championship games, and I bet uh, actually hit on some player props. They had boosted odds for Christian McCaffrey anytime touchdown. They're always doing cool things like that, basically just giving away free money. So get in on the action now before the Super Bowl. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. 
All right, switching gears a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Vic Fangio. Uh, Josina, Josina Anderson and Joe Person kind of were on the beat this weekend. Uh, they said Josina broke the news that uh, Carolina and Vic Fangio were in discussions to make Vic the next defensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers. Obviously, him and Frank go way back. They do have a relationship. They both were here uh, with the Panthers in 95, so they do have that connection uh, as well. Um, and, Corey, you've got a theory on this that we'll we'll touch on in just a second, but it's kind of been a little confusing here. So uh, Josina broke the report that, you know, they uh, – they were in discussions or he was looking like he was going to be the next defensive coordinator. Then Joe person put out that that was unlikely. Uh, other sources piggybacked on that. And then Josina kind of clarified things after the conference championship games and said that Carolina had actually agreed to make uh, Vic the highest paid coordinator in the national football league. And then his agent went back to Miami and said that they at least had to match Carolina's offer and then the report came out that they had agreed to terms. And then Vic said, not so fast. I haven't signed anything. And now we have this little wrinkle here with San Francisco and uh, seeing what happens with D'Amico Ryans. Corey, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you kind of elaborate on this because I know Vic has a special place in your heart. Yeah. Um, I, I like, I, I, I love Vic Fangio. Um, I love his defense. Um if you haven't subscribed or follow Cody Alexander on Twitter um, or matchquarters.com uh, and you want to actually learn about the defensive side of the ball and, you know, not just what you do on Madden, um, then I would say check him out. Um, Vic Fangio runs um, probably my favorite defense, um, defensive scheme, and he's just – man he's it's it's really fun to watch and he's just really innovative and a lot of people around the league are just copycatting what he does if you watch um what brandon staley did when he was with the rams um it was a version of of vick's defense that that he he did really well with um not so much in in uh with the chargers um but you know vick's stuff is 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 pretty awesome and if he would have been brought here man you want to talk about over the moon that would have been me. I would. You could not have been able to tell me nothing <laughs> until the season started because I would just be just smitten. Um, but I have this wild and crazy tinfoil hat theory because um, it's just where my mind goes during these offseason times when I, you know, I don't really have Panthers football to to keep me focused. Um, kind of reading through the tea leaves of Twitter, um, all these different reporters, what Justina Anderson was reporting, what all these insiders were reporting. Um, and I came up with this kind of like timeline, if you will, like a little bit of a, uh, of a, of a theory of what I think actually happened behind closed doors um, with the Panthers. And again, I don't have sources. I'm just a fan, but this is my best guess. And this could be completely wrong and you could call me crazy, but I really don't care because it's just what I think happened. Okay. So number one, I want to say that all this is moot. Frank Reich is our head coach. And I am extremely happy with the hire. All right. But I think all along that Ben Johnson was, in fact, their guy and the apple of David Tepper's eye. I believe that 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 was the case. Um, I think that hiring the interview thing was honestly probably just a you know farce. And I, I feel like he was going to get the job if he interviewed and did you know remotely well. Uh, agents talk. People talk behind the scenes that people don't know about. So I think that they had probably discussed some things prior. Um, I think that Tepper coveted pairing Vic Fangio with a young offensive minded guy 
almost more than having the young offensive-minded guys themselves. Um, think about uh, Sean McVay and Wade Phillips. All right? I, I think that's what he wanted, that kind of dynamic. Um, I think that's why they did the D.C. interviews prior naming a head coach. All right, people were coming out saying this is crazy. We haven't seen this before. Uh, John Ellis was saying this this was wild. You know, this isn't how you do things. Um, I think that doing the inter the d- defensive coordinator interviews prior to naming a head coach, um, and even satisfying the Rooney rule with that. They interviewed Chris Richard and uh, Marquand Manuel. All right, they 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 satisfied the Rooney rule. I think all that was in an effort to satisfy the Rooney rule, so that the second that you know they named their young offensive head coach or head coach that they could move quickly with a deal with, with Vic and not have to wade through more interviews. Um, I think Johnson, when Johnson backed out, it really threw a wrench in the things. Um, Steichen was probably the number two, um, but I feel like this bad interview that supposedly happened, I don't know if it was so much a bad interview or he simply was not on board with them hiring a staff member for him, AKA Vic Fangio. I don't think that, you know, I don't think he wanted any part of that. Um, and I just think that, you know, he likes what they're doing up in Philly. He's got a good good thing going um, with Jalen Hurts. And we don't really have a quarterback at the moment. So um, he might just not have wanted to, to leave as much as people thought he did. Um, then Reich came and we heard early that Reich blew them away with his interview, right? I think that he was all on board with Fangio. I think that, you know, he came in saying, you know, me and Vic have a relationship and they did have a relationship and he's an offensive guy. I think that's how he came out of nowhere. All right. He, he, he checked every box with him. Tepper said he checked every box. So I think that he thought he could get Vic to come on board with him. And I think it was close. Um, Talking about Wilkes, I think Wilkes presented his offensive plan, which he had to do, which was acceptable. All right, Brian Johnson, I think that that was probably something that they could, you know, work with. But I think he had zero, and I mean zero. He probably scoffed at the notion of bringing an outsider in like Vic Fangio to run his defense. All right, even if he's the head coach, he was never going to allow someone else that he didn't, you know, like like Vic Fangio, someone on, you know, who's honestly 10 times the defensive coordinator that he is. And you can miss me if you think, anything else. Vic Fangio is a better defensive coordinator than Steve Wilkes, you know, seven days of the week. All right. He was not going to let some them bring somebody in on his staff. He was going to have Holcomb be his guy no matter what, just like Ron Rivera, staying loyal to his guys. And Tepper, what has Tepper said? We will spare no expense. We want the best people in the room. And if you're not going to allow Tepper to pay legitimately, if not the best, he's at least in the top three defensive coordinators in the NFL into the room because of, you know, your pride and your loyalty, then yeah, that's going to do you in. So I think that ultimately what cost him the job. Um, I think with Vic, what went wrong and why Vic isn't here. I think Vic wants a situation where he's essentially the head coach of the defense and allowed to do basically whatever he wants. All right. That's why I think McDaniel and, um, Miami appeals to him because McDaniel has straight up said the defensive coordinator is the head coach of the defense. I handle the offense. I think that's what Vic wants. Um, I think that appealed to him here when Ben Johnson was a major player or Shane Steichen because you know they're young guys 
Um, they can, he can kind of do his own thing. Those are young offensive minded guys. They're not going to have a huge piece or a huge hand on the defense because they are young and they focus on offense and it's their first time head coach and he can kind of mentor them um, and, and just have his own power on the defense. And I think when Frank came in, yeah, they have a relationship, but he knows that Frank's been around the block. Frank's done this. Frank is a head coach. And I, you know, I, I don't know if I don't, I don't want to say they don't want to work together or he, Vic doesn't want to work with Frank, but I think that that situation that I just explained is more appealing to to Vic at, at this point in his career. Um, and now he's waiting on San Francisco where he's been at before. Um, he knows Kyle. Um, and I think Kyle is so, you know, ingrained on the offensive side of the ball that he's going to let him do his thing on defense, you know? So I think that that's going to be understood. So um, ultimately I think Vic stuff, I think we got really close. Um, I would have liked to have seen Tepper be like, okay, we're close. You know, what, what's the number? What do you need to make this happen? Because he can do that, you know? So I would have liked to have seen that happen. I don't think it's going to happen at this point, but that's just my wild tinfoil theory hat. Tin tin foil hat theory about what went on this hiring cycle. Love it, hate it. I don't care. It's what I think happened. So I'll say maybe maybe his representation got a little bit ahead of themselves. I think that that Vic probably was keeping an eye on uh, San Francisco from the beginning. I mean, this was a number one overall defense in the league, and then you know the opening happens with D'Amico leaving. I, I'll give you my, my input on this, and I've mentioned it to to y'all uh, in the last few days. But I think this is a, a clear situation of public negotiation. Yeah. Um, people want to put out there that, you know, why didn't Tepper make him the highest paid coordinator? He agreed to that. And then, you know, this is typical negotiation. It sounds like his agent went back, took that offer, went back to Miami and said, you at least have to match this or, or beat it. And of course, they're going to agree to it at that point. Um and, and that's what they did. And, you know, maybe that didn't go over too well with Carolina and Fitterer and Tepper. You know, Tepper you know, does have some pride there and doesn't want to get beat out. So I think that they did everything that they could have. Uh, this was just a, 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 a negotiation tactic, you know, with the, the leaking with Josina and then Joe Pearson putting that out, you know, not 20 minutes after her report came out. So I, I think that that's just – you know, what was going on, just public negotiation to get him the, the number that he wanted. And it clearly worked. And now he may be able to leverage that even more to get more money out of potentially San Francisco or more money out of Miami. Yeah. And I think the, I think the Miami leak was Miami sources saying not, not Vic side saying that Vic probably came back and said like, you're, I want to be with you guys more than Carolina match the money. And I'm there. Like he said that verbally just to get them, to match the money and then he's got that on the table and then now he he wasn't actually signing anything because he like you said waiting on San Fran. Yeah, and I mean from just a another standpoint, I hate to say this, but you know, Miami and well especially San Francisco. I'm putting San Francisco in their own little box over here, but Miami definitely has the personnel for Vic's defense more so than we do from a starting point. Um you have to have better like with the Fangio defense, you have to have good safeties, all right? And, I, you know, I think Chin would have a much better role in the defense, but you're there's a glaring hole at the other safety for what Fangio wants to do. Um, Xavier Woods isn't it. Sam Franklin isn't it. Miles um, Hartfield isn't it. 
uh, it's not going to work with those guys. So you do, you, you would, there would have to be some big acquisitions for Fangio to, to have what he needed to be successful on that side of the ball. But that being said, I wanted him here because I know what he can do. Um, you'd also have to have another defensive end, a bigger defensive end, that strong side rush defensive end. Um, and I think it would benefit Brian Birds. So um, there's pieces that would have to be sorted. Um, the good thing about Fangio that I, I really liked is you, you don't necessarily have to have like great linebackers, like inside linebackers. Um, Luvu would fit perfect. Um, but the other linebacker, you know, it's it, he, he got by with just some, some, some jags at linebacker with some of his better defenses. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those, it's going to be, a, it's going to haunt me the what ifs with that one, because I, I, I upset, I'm obsessed with Vic Fangio. So as, as a defensive coordinator myself, I, I love what Vic does. So it was, I mean, you think about it and, and they touched on it in the press conference yesterday too, but the difference between a top 10 defense and a top five defense is, is pretty large in this league. And you end taking that to the next level, and you know it's it's tough to not look at it like you said, Corey, and, and kind of be disappointed that you know that he chose not to come here and that ship has sailed. But to touch on the defense again, I, I think that you know you got to address linebacker and safety in this draft or free agency. Um, the Xavier Wood signings was was a good one. It, it worked out. I think Xavier had a had a good year last year, minus you know the miscommunication in the Tampa game late in the season. Uh, but the Damian Wilson signing, that was a flop. Uh, Corey Littleton ended up starting at the – yeah, Damian – I mean, uh, Corey Littleton was taking his snaps and starting uh, the, in the back half of the season. I mean, that's not things that you can have. Yeah, he's he's a fine rotational piece, but, you know, if you're going to keep Shaq, which I don't even know if we will with, with his cap hit and the restructure, uh, and then Wilkes walking out the door, he was one of his biggest supporters. You know, that that is an area that I'm worried about you know, with you're looking at potentially just having Frankie back. And I mean, you got some gaps to fill there and we, we know how we need to address the defensive line. You know, Ionitis is up as a free agent. Um, so you got Burns and Derek Brown and then YGM on the other side. So we've got some holes to fill on the defensive side. I don't, I don't think it's as good as people like to make it out to be and, you know, talk about, you know, how great it was this year. I mean, we, we've, we've got some holes out there. Yeah, um, I'm going to say that <laughs> that's been a big thing with, with with me and a big problem I've had. And I kind of have to keep my mouth shut because people just see me as being sour or too harsh. But I think for the for a long time, we've had this problem in our fan base that people perceive our defense as being way better than it is. And this goes back to Rivera days. I mean, like we we had several years where we had a very good defense. I don't think that we ever had that like elite, you know, 2015 Broncos defense. Like that's never been the case here. It's it's because they make it the the whole identity of the team. Yeah. And and you're that ground and pound defense team, and you so you have to cling to that because we certainly weren't out, didn't have somebody out here like Pat Mahomes throwing sidearm touchdowns to cling to. So I mean, I, I think it. I don't blame the fans for clinging to it, but I agree. It, I mean, we we have a, a a good to very good defense every year, but it's it 
2015 was really the 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 2015 and what 2013 were the okay those were the, that was when you could say is borderline elite but other than that I don't I don't really think we've had that no I'll I'll say this though since y'all just mentioned it I think f- as far as scheme goes I think 2013 was probably the most impressive just because of you know what they were working with I mean you had Mike Mitchell who was here on a one year deal got paid uh, by a Pittsburgh after he left here you know he had a career year here I mean we were starting guys off the street there at the end of the season uh and still still producing so I (laughs) yeah 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 Quentin Michael came in and was starting playoff games for us you know um you know Melvin White's out here clinching the NFC South for us you know so I I think that 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 group was probably more impressive than 2015 you know looking back at it in hindsight yeah and that's not to say that we've ever had like a just like piss like 20, 2016 was pretty bad but but uh I don't think that we've ever had just an awful defense and that's not what I'm saying but it's not this elite just top 3 unit in the NFL that everybody thinks it is I mean and has thought it is and I think that you guys uh, I'm not saying I got to be careful with my words. I think that people in our fan base elevate players to be better than they really are. A hundred percent. A hundred percent they do. And, and and it's fine, you know, and that's cool. You know, we're fans that happens, Um, (laughs) but you know, you just got to look at, look at stuff for, for what it is, man. And um, like Matt said, man, we've got some holes that, that have to be filled. Um, But unfortunately I think, (laughs) that it's time to kind of ignore that side of the ball for a little bit and give that love back to the offense and build the best thing that you can possibly build on the offensive side of the ball and have that average to good defense that doesn't have to be elite. You know what I'm saying? Because offense is, is producing. That's where we can be. Um. I'm gonna keep my mouth shut on overrated players on on our defense. Yeah, we might now. get smacked, for, right? For, for now, um, somebody's brother yeah. might might come at me on Twitter. But uh, let's. Uh, <laughs> which of the defensive coordinator candidates besides Vic? Then do you do you guys lean towards? Um, I think that's that's a fair question to ask at this point. The, the, of the names that have been floated, what what do we think? For for me. <laughs> You know, I don't. I don't want Gus Bradley. Um, I know that that's Frank's boy. Apparently, they're good friends, and he's the defensive coordinator in Indianapolis. And we haven't interviewed him as of yet, so I don't. I don't want Gus Bradley. I'm not a fan of his scheme. Um, I think he's done some good things in the NFL. The Legion of Boom obviously is great, but it's a new. It's a new age in the NFL, even since then. Um, Chris Richard would be the guy for me. Um, he just got let go. Or they just It was tweeted out that they, they parted ways today with the Saints. He would be the guy that I, I would be more apt to. Um, Marquand Manuel, he's been up and down. Um, he had a really bad year in Atlanta. So um, after the, the Super they – had, they had a good year in Atlanta after the Super Bowl, and then they had a really bad year. So – um, I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know enough about these guys. And honestly, to be honest with you, until we start seeing names rolling in, I don't really know. 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know who, who we're going to be looking at or, or, or what we want to do on that side of the ball. But um, that's – I don't feel comfortable giving much more analysis other than that because I just don't know at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's it hasn't been a really an extensive search. You've had, like Corey mentioned, Chris Richard, uh, Marquand Manuel, and Vic Fangio. Those have been the, the three names thrown around, and we haven't seen that expand. I mean, even the Gus Bradley smoke is out there, but – you know, no news on an actual interview request or if uh, if I guess we're kind of waiting for Indy to, to name a, a coach and then seeing, you know, who they decide to keep and who they let go. I think that's kind of where things are at. But Scott did say that the uh, search would open up. I think it was a, it's an interesting note that both Manuel and Richard have ties to Dan Quinn. But, you know, have they really been on the same level like a typical Dan Quinn defense, you know, kind of like what he's putting out there. I I mean, the answer is no, but I, I just thought it was interesting that, that both of them have, have coached with him and under him in different capacities. Uh, I would like to see the the search open up a little bit more and, and maybe see it expand and get maybe two or three more guys in here, not named Gus Bradley, just to expand a little bit and make sure that we're doing our due diligence right now. I don't have a preference. I watched a few videos on Mark on manual. seems like he's, you know, really passionate uh, about his guys and, you know, and that's that's good, but you know, at the end of the day, you really got to make a, a good hire here because you know Frank doesn't have you know, experience on that side of the ball. So getting defensive coordinator is is very important, getting it right, and that's why that Vic hire would have been a grand slam. Uh, you know, we've been fine with having a head coach on the defensive side of the ball. Um, just let him handle his guys, and and Frank doesn't have to worry about it. But you know, I mean, we did everything short of trapping him in a room and, and holding him hostage and not letting him leave, you know, I would have done that versus, you know, what, what some people want you to believe that Tepper just tucked his tail and, and, and ran. So it doesn't seem like money's going to be an issue for the staff. And, and I don't care. You shouldn't either. Um, how Dave Tepper spends his money that doesn't pertain to the salary cap is none of my business. He can pay whoever he wants to. It's a drop in the bucket at the end of the day from his uh, billion dollar hedge fund. Yeah, and having the second richest owner in NFL, I think Panthers fans are going to have to get used to this as people using Dave as a bargaining chip. Like you said, Matt, you, you said it perfectly. All right, he, He's a good, the good guys, great guys in the NFL. If they're looking to get a certain number from a certain team, they're going to be taking interviews here because they know that Dave's going to open up that checkbook. So it, it's, it's a bargaining chip, you know, more money. And I know we're talking defense, but we did forget one one name on the offensive side. I think I don't think we mentioned Jim Bob Cooter oh, in yeah. our in, in our name name drop for uh, offensive coordinator. And um, I mean, Cooter, <laughs> big big Cooter fan. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> he's he's been um, involved with some impressive offenses. He's got an impressive. Uh, line of coaches that he's worked with it's the the andy reed tree i believe for the most part um so back to that i i I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other like i said of who the coordinator is if with frank around on the offensive side i think um and just when the name got tweeted out by ian rapaport earlier and I just I rem- obviously I remember Jim Bob Cooter from his from his time in Detroit. And how could you forget Cooter? Yeah. So I think that, uh, but it's it's a good thing because 
it shows again it's another guy who has a history of developing quarterbacks and from the fans things that i've read and everything i've read online just as a quick brief overview just familiarize myself with it again because it's been so long since i think he's been in like the mainstream um apparently he's a heck of a quarterback coach and he had his struggles with the off as an offensive coordinator so um yeah, I mean, again, yeah, how much does it matter with with Frank? I, I, you know, that's yet to be known. But having another guy here that has a history with quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, these arrows are starting to point, guys. It's not that hard. Don't waste your time arguing about prospects. <laughs> I mean, I'm just you know, read through the tea leaves. Read through the tea leaves. Stop. Like, if you if you think that we're taking a defensive end in the top 10 this year, uh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> no, you made, you, you made a great point, Corey. Um, you know, Jim Bob Cooter worked with Trevor Lawrence this year, and you, you've seen the growth that he's made under him. I mean, and you know, I mean, it's hard to say that when the guy's a former number one overall pick and, um, you know, had the college career that he did, but he wasn't that under Urban Meyer. So I think seeing that and seeing his work with young quarterbacks and seeing the want to surround a potential rookie quarterback with uh, put them in the best place to succeed, I should say. And, and having Frank Reich and, and a potential Jim Bob Cooter as a, a quarterback's coach or an offensive coordinator, if he has an offense, if he gets the offensive coordinator job, it, it doesn't really mean anything. I mean, working with the quarterback pretty much, Frank is still calling the plays and he's just going to be supporting him. I don't think that he's going to be a guy where Frank's like, hey, here's offense, have at it. You know, we talked about how he likes calling plays. Um, now, Brian Johnson, that could be a different story or, or somebody else. But I, I think that, yeah, it's nothing to get up in arms if, say, he did get hired. It's all about the development of the guy that you have in the building and the guy that you select. And, you know, you want to put them in the best best place to succeed. And, and Corey, you hit the nail on the head with that. Uh, you know, you're not going to be drafting a, a defensive end, a, a Tyree Wilson, or you're not going to be drafting, you know, a Will Anderson, you know, if they move up or if they stay at nine, it's, it's I really, really doubt that it's going to be a defensive player. I mean, look at the draft boards, you know, right. like, like Corey said, read the tea leaves, read the comments out here. We're focusing on, you know, finally getting that position right now. Yeah. And, uh, John Ellis, um, if you're a Panthers fan and you don't know who John Ellis is, I highly recommend that you follow him on Twitter. He's great. Um, John Ellis tweeted out that he spoke with a source familiar with Reich's thinking, um, and they talked about Deuce Daly and Jim Bob Cooter, and his source basically said this, quote, I don't know how much it said his comment to the question of who would be the OC for Frank, and his source Quoted, and I quote, I don't know, but it won't make much of a difference either way. The offense is what it is. Frank will basically be in control of it without. And says he loves Deuce Staley and had heard great things about Jim Bob Cooter's work with Trevor Lawrence as Trevor Lawrence's QB coach 2022. So there you go. It doesn't matter. It's going to be Frank's vision. It's going to be his offense. But get as many guys in the room that are, that are smart as you possibly can. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I want to see those guys on the coaching staff that that have playing experience, but have also, you know, played in a Super Bowl, you know, have been successful, knows what it takes to get to that next level. You know, you don't want to uh, – I hate beating, a, you know, a dead horse here, but, you know, you don't want to bring in your buddies, and I think they've taken some shots at the previous regime 
uh, over the last few days, if you paid attention and, and really picked up on them. But, you know, we've kind of seen successful organizations um, use that, that model of, of hiring in guys who have played in the league, won Super Bowls, been successful. Um, and so it works. And, and that's what you want. You don't want somebody who's coached nothing but, but college kids coming in here and, you know, trying to be buddy, buddy. And, you know, that's what you're concerned about. You know, you're making them run laps and, and do all that stuff. You know, you want guys who are, say, Hey, I've played in the Super Bowl. I know what it takes to get there. I know what the sacrifices you have to make are, you know, that that's the guy that you can, you can pick his brain. And, you know, I think players appreciate that. So. Yep. That's that's where I'll sum that up. I mean, an offensive coordinator. I'm 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 excited about which way it goes, but at the end of the day, that hire is not as important as it would have been with the Steve Wilkes because you have that in Frank Reich. And I, I think the touch one more time on, on Corey, what you said about you know having a head coach on the defensive side of the ball. It's not like Andy Reid is involved with the defensive scheme or you know right. defensive decisions in Kansas City. I mean, that's Spags out there. I mean, he's. Right pretty much like, Hey, here you go. And I'm going to worry about the offense. And, you know, they're going to let Eric be enemy go. It, it, I mean, it seems that way this off season. I mean, it, I don't see that offense changing at all. It's Andy Reed's baby. It's his pride and joy. He's been calling plays. So, but that defense is in Chris Jones, Frank Clark, even, I mean, we saw, you know, that, that pretty much made a difference there and Andy Reed's got nothing to do with that. So, you know that that goes to show you what potentially having a Vic Fangio here would have would have meant. I, I, that's the last thing I'll say about about Vic. Yeah. So, um, before we close, because this was a a hot topic on Twitter yesterday, and was the brainchild of one of those credentialed reporters that we everybody loves so much. Um, and again. Um, I'm not going to say a name, but this person knew exactly what they were doing when they asked this question in a space. Um, what in your mind, what do we have? What does Frank have to do in year one to be a success for you guys? Fair question, unfair question, doesn't matter. What does he got to do? I, I think in year one, to be a success, he needs to win the NFC South. With 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 the state of the NFC South in its current state, uh, I think there's a lot of different variables that are unknown at the moment, so it's it's tough to answer. If they draft a, a quarterback, I, I mean, obviously you you want to judge him off the growth of the quarterback and the direction that they go, but at the same time, you know, if they don't fill those gaps on defense, it's going to be tough unless you're putting up, you know. 28 points a game or, or something like that. I think realistically, yeah, the NFC South is down, but you know, if we move up to get a quarterback, sure. Yeah. Uh, NFC South should, should be the standard should be that bar year one. I mean, it's tough to, you know, bring in, I mean, get hired into here and, and say, Hey, you got to win the division. But if they move up for that guy, yeah. Now, if they don't and say a new Orleans, you know, moves up now since they got some ammo from from Denver. It's a it's a little bit of a different story, right? I, I think that it's kind of an open ended, it's a baited question. But yes. If, yes. if you say, "Hey, finish over five hundred, you're with the way the division is is looking right now, you should have a good shot at winning it." So I, I think 
I will say that. I'll say finish above 500 and let everything fall into place because that's just baiting people. And we know what you're, you're trying to do. Now, if you said, hey, what would Steve Wilkes <laughs> what would Steve Wilkes do next season? You know, what would be the bar? And you have people saying, like, oh, we'll win nine games, win 10 games, but we make another hire, and now you automatically have to, you know, win 12 games, win the division, win a first round playoff game, et cetera, et cetera. Of similar thought, a tweet that made its rounds on Panthers Twitter is, was quote tweeting someone that asked a similar question of like, well, what could Wilkes have done? And they quote tweeted it and said, beat Tampa Bay. <laughs> that shit and, was hilarious. And, and, and it made its rounds on, on Twitter. And, and, and I mean, they're exactly right because guess what that, guess what that does? Beat Tampa win. Bay and you win the NFC South. And the NFC South is not a hard division right now. And, and I, I mean, th- there's some caveats to that right now, successful season when the NFC South, will I be disappointed if they lose? Depends. Depends on how that looks. And so, yes, it is a not a great question, not a fair question, but I think a success, the only way to determine it a success, in my opinion, is a, a winning of the NFC South or you for sure 100% get your franchise quarterback. That's the two things. Right. And so, you know, that's kind of where I was at with this whole thing is I feel like, number one, it's a very loaded, very baited question that, again, this person knew exactly what they were doing in their little space and with their beehive of Wilk supporters. Um, no, I, I, I think, I think it's, like, it's like saying that, that Ron should have won, should have turned, took a 1-15 team uh, and, and won the NFC South his first year just because he had Cam. I mean, he had Chudzinski, and we were putting up, you know, 25 points a game. I mean, had one of the best offenses in the league, but we couldn't stop anybody on defense. I think that that's kind of having the same that, – that'd be like telling Ron, you need to go out here and win just because you have, have Cam, but ignoring all the holes on defense. The, 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 the nuance to the conversation is you can't have it because any nuance you have is – "Quote unquote, moving the goalpost." Yeah, yeah, that's what right? I was gonna say. But it works that's both ways. New, that's the new buzzword, right? Is if you if you have if you're objective, and you have nuance to this conversation, you're moving the goalpost. That's not it at all. You have to understand that 2023 is a brand new season. These are going to be brand new teams. Okay, if you think that the Bucks, the Falcons, and the Saints are just going to sit on their hands and just try to be bad then you're mistaken. These are NFL franchises. These are billion-dollar NFL franchises. They're going to do things in their minds to try to get better. All right? And we see with the Jaguars. I mean, from picking first overall to the freaking playoffs. Like, you know, I mean, it it happens every year. So it's such a different season every single year. And then you've got injuries. You've got all these things that come into play. Do I think that if we get a rookie quarterback that, you know, then here, there, there it is again. You're expecting you're, you're day one of this person being hired saying you must win a division in the NFL with a rookie quarterback. I mean, uh, it's just, it's just tough, man. I mean, I, <laughs> that, I want them to be successful. I think that this team as currently constructed with a, with a, injunction of talent at the quarterback position should win every bit of nine to 10 games next year. 
Um, even if we have to have some sort of a bridge quarterback like a Jacoby Brissett, all right, then absolutely. But to say that there is, it is a failure to not win the NFC South next year on day one is a little bit crazy in my mind. But yeah, and that's for my answer to say I wasn't saying that the season's a failure on my end, if, if he doesn't, I think a successful season, I think there's a difference between a successful and a failure. And then there's kind of that middle ground of right. fine. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing is, are we progressing? Is the offense better? Is the team better? How does it look? All right. Are we getting blown out? Are we in every game? Um, are we making dumb mistakes to cost this game? Is he making dumb game management errors? To, to cost us games. And that's another point that we didn't talk about with Frank Reich is apparently he's a phenomenal game manager. Apparently that's the best thing about him uh, on top of his offensive prowess is his game management, which is, my God, a breath of fresh air. That is just, oh, man. You mean, he, you mean he doesn't wait for the fans to boo before <laughs> taking a timeout and changing his mind where they go for it on fourth down? Oh, man. You know that's out there? No. Or, or going into the last two minutes with all three timeouts? Is that oh, yeah. something we may we may be able to do going forward? Because we haven't done that in a decade, right? <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't want to get back on this, but I, I will say that we've we've said this in previous episodes. But if you know, if we made the wrong decision here, if we you know, if Steve Wilkes was a can't miss coaching candidate, then why aren't other teams requesting to interview him for the head coaching jobs? Boom. That's. I mean, that's what it boils down to. I mean, are you trying to tell me that you know? every other team in the league or every other team with openings doesn't want to, you know, at least talk to him. They, they saw him go six and six this year and they're like, eh, you know, that's that. Eh, oh, well, like or Carolina's dumb for letting him go or not choosing him. Sure. It's a, it was a good story and, and everything. And, and like I said, Steve did a great job. Um, but, and, and, and your notes you can make about it. Houston just went and hired, a black defensive head coach. That's so, so the, the things you can say about Wilkes being a black coach or a defensive minded head coach, there are teams hiring that both of those things. So it's not about race there. It's not about defensive. It is the fact that he is what he is. And, and Corey mentioned it. There's, there's better defensive coordinators that we could hire out there. Vic is a better defensive coordinator than Steve Wilkes. Every, yeah. Like there. And if you argue that with me, man, <laughs> now and I mean and so wh- where where would you put I mean just to to bring that all together where would you put D'Amico with with Vic and Wilkes? Uh, D'Amico is a, a hundred times better. He, D'Amico is yes, he is better than Steve Wilkes as a defensive coordinator. Yes, there you go. And, and so that's I mean that's that's what it all boils down to. It's it's being a good coach. I'll uh, I'll compare this. I'll throw another name out there. Uh, Indianapolis could end up hiring Raheem Morris. And there's another defensive coordinator uh, from LA. So if, if if he gets that job, then you know there's you know it's kind of building a case against Steve. You know, as there's there's two defensive minded guys, defensive coordinators uh, who are both a minority that would get head coaching jobs. Um, Inumora from the Bengals, he is a better defensive coordinator than Steve Wilkes, and he's not going to get a job. I think the one that we didn't talk about this just to kind of wrap everything together here is um, I guess Evero with Denver since they're 
change into the Sean Payton. A better maybe. defensive coordinator than Steve Wilkes. He interviewed here. I mean, that could be a name that may might circle back to, uh, you know, and, and see what he has. But you know, there you go. I mean, you just listed several candidates that are out there who have interviewed for positions and head coaching jobs, and, you know, they didn't get them. But you're trying to say that Steve Wilkes should have gotten this one, and this was his, really his only opportunity. His only it bulls right back to what Corey meant brought up with our fan base, getting attached to yeah. names that they're familiar with and over-inflating their value. We have a hard time not tying on to that emotional side, not not holding on to the good old days and and what we associate winning with. We associate that from everybody that's that's 2015, except for Mike Shula. Um, you know, we just kind of hold those those – that time frame near and dear to our hearts, which is fine. I mean, it's a great time. It's uh, some of the best moments of my, my fanhood, but I think we got to remember that, you know, just because it worked previously doesn't mean that it's going to work again. And, you know, if we learn anything from, from Ron and, and how that ultimately failed is that, you know, some, you just gotta, you gotta get the offensive side of the ball, right. And you kind of have to be aggressive and you can't, you know, coach scared. I, I don't want to use that word. I mean, you know, Corey, you've touched on some of that decision-making later in the year, but it's, like I said, I I think expectations, I know we've kind of gotten off track, but the expectations I think should be just finish above 500, and if you draft a quarterback, their development should be seen at least towards the end of the year. And that's how I would judge Frank Reich, regardless of we win the division or not. I'm going to be honest. I I do think that if if we hit – if we hit on quarterback, then yes, we should probably win the division next year. I don't see the teams in our division improving that much because I mean the quarterback situation is for no none of the none of the four teams have their quarterback situations figured out. If you want to count Desmond Ritter, maybe um, you but, can't you can't count Kyle Trask. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Jameis. <laughs> Jameis won't be back in New Orleans. Um, Taysom, Taysom is, is still Current, currently under contract. Quarterbacks in the NFC South are Matt Corral, and I guess is PJ Walker still. No, he'll be a free uh, agent. Or so, yeah, yeah, they won't. They won't so, get exclusive. So current under contract is Matt Corral, Kyle Trask, Taysom Hill, and Desmond Ritter. I'll say this, and this will be the last thing. I'll try to wrap this up. I know we've kind of gone a little bit long here, but if if you were to pass on a quarterback this year's draft, you're trying to tell me that that teams aren't going to, teams in this division are not going to tank next year to try to get a Caleb Williams or a Drake May or um, a, a Quinn Ewers. I mean, there's you're going to have you're going to have probably. 14 to 16 teams that are going to be trying to, in some way, shape, or form, acquire assets or get up to get Caleb Williams. And and the, the price to move up next year is probably going to be significantly more than it is this year. Way higher. Caleb Williams is the best quarterback prospect since we've started doing this podcast, the best one since Lawrence, what Lawrence was supposed to be. Yeah, and before that, luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say that's fair. 
that I mean, Caleb, Caleb Williams it will be one of those that people say like you just don't trade out of that, just like they said with Trevor Lawrence. Like you don't trade out of that pick. I I, feel, I, I honestly feel like Caleb Williams is a good enough prospect that you're going to have teams like with quarterbacks, teams like 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 Minnesota with Kirk, like um shit, like trying to think of another example. Um, you, you're going to have teams with guys, Dallas, perfect example, Dallas. You're going to have teams with guys in place that are going to be like looking long and hard about how much it's going to cost them to get up to number one. And teams that think they're a quarterback away are going to be fawning all over themselves to try to get up to number one. Unless you are 100% sure that you're going to lose every single game next year and get to number one, you can't wait. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and I'm I, well. First, I'm surprised we, we're, there's no Drake May stand coming coming out of you, Corey, over here. Uh, I think that Drake May. <laughs> I think I think Drake May is a great prospect. I, I think he's he's good, but I'll, he's not Caleb Williams. Oh no, I'm just giving you a hard time. No. <laughs> I, there are Carolina people on Twitter that that are like Drake May is better than Caleb Williams, and it's just it, it's laughable. Yeah, no, that's stupid. People look every day for the the person who could be the next. Patrick Mahomes style quarterback. Yeah. It's it's Caleb Williams. It is. It, it is. And I think for 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 people cuz I've seen it and it's already starting it I'm starting to see it on the huddle. I'm seeing it on Twitter. I'm seeing it in my friends and in text messages. People who are like, "Man, we still have so many holes, man. Let's just go BPA, man. And let's let's go get a quarterback next year. I'm like, dude, I am so tired of hearing about next year. It's always next year. Well, there's this guy next year. Nah, man. This year, there are three studs in this draft that I think are going to be great quarterbacks in this NFL in the right in the right situation. Damn, next year. I'm tired of hearing about next year. Go go make it happen. All right. Pick one of these three guys and let's go get him. So Corey's talking about Will Levis, Hendon Hooker, and two belts. <laughs> Bro, I'm about to come through this, <laughs> this computer. <laughs> no, if, if you don't know the three I'm talking about, just we'll, we'll set the stage for upcoming podcasts. But the three guys are Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. And Anthony Richardson in no particular order. And people are going to look at me sideways when I say Anthony Richardson. Don't worry, I got you. I'm it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun draft season. Anthony Thank Richardson you. is what y'all wanted Malik Willis to be. Yep, hundred percent. He's got that upside. He's got that talent. That my my only concern is if you if you do something like an Anthony Richardson, then then that question, that nuanced question we asked before, becomes yeah. very different for year one. Right, a hundred percent. With the other two, you you can answer that question very differently than you can with him. Yep, but I I don't think Anthony Richardson is as far off as we initially thought either. So no, um, and um, Malik Willis does not belong in the same conversation as Anthony Richardson. But Corey, there were there were people that wanted us to draft him with our first round pick last year, though. I thought he was. I mean, people people will tell you a lot of things, and, and people listen to those things, and it's really sad to see. But uh, I know on this podcast, we told y'all the truth about Malik Willis, and y'all didn't want to hear it. 
So I believe we said the same thing about Zach Wilson too, but I don't I don't want to keep bringing up old stuff and and talking about our record here on these type of things. But and we said the same thing about Justin Fields and how he was going to turn out, and when they put him in the right situation, we saw what happened this year. Walking mm-hmm. highlight reel. We we this this is this is a pro Justin Fields podcast. I was a little little sad to see the news today come across that they are going to keep him and not trade him because that would have been just just right up Chicago's alley to trade him away and start over again and put nothing around another young quarterback. But I, I hope they they build a good team around him. I I want to see him succeed because I'm a big Justin Fields guy. They have yeah. enough money. And yeah, yeah that's that's the truth. You know, just think about how better of a position they would have been in if they would have done the the Ridley trade instead of Claypool giving up a what is it the the first pick of the second round for for Chase Claypool. Speaking speaking of that money, I've got a trade proposal for for Chicago. I don't think any. I don't think today is the day for this conversation, but I've got no. a trade proposal for for Chicago. That'll go on for another twenty <laughs> minutes. We'll save it for next week so we can start to look ahead on it to the draft. Because God knows we don't need to take this two hours and fifteen minutes, which is where it was going to go to. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure that we we should probably have another hiring by the time we speak next time. But uh, I'm excited to get into to some draft talk in the in the next couple episodes. Yeah, Senior Bowl has has put out a lot of good stuff so far. A lot of guys are helping themselves out. Um, Shrine Bowl was last week. Guys earned some combine invites just off of that. So. Um, you know, only thing I'll say when it comes to draft stuff and, and kind of what we do is don't pay attention to the national media. Um, no. Just watch, watch the guys in, you know, drills. And I'm not talking about, you know, wide receivers matched up with safeties and one-on-one coverage. I mean, that's, that's putting them at a disadvantage, but you know, the blocking drills in the trenches, as far as offensive line and defensive line, you know, that's a, that's a good one to pay attention to. Um, we, know, had a Darl- we had a Darwin come out of those last year. That was, yeah. Yeah, that's that what ended, I was up being a first, ended, ended up being a first round pick. Yeah, Cole Strange really helped himself last year, uh, but th- but that's a that's a key one. Um, watching watching those drills and seeing how those guys do, and, and it, Corey, you're the offensive line guy, but but that's that's a big one to take away from. And then um, when when cornerbacks do make plays and one on one drills against wide receivers, I mean, I think that that's that's helping them out more than anything because they're at such a disadvantage uh, in those drills. So. But the speed, the speed stands out for receivers, and that doesn't lie. I haven't seen anything on on running backs so far, but definitely been some receivers that have been impressive this week so far. With the quarterbacks, throw away everything you see on those days too, by the way. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and there's no quarterbacks even freaking co- – Well, just on, on that, on combines, on pro days, for the next yeah. three months, throw away everything you see from a quarterback. Don't, don't care. Tape. Watch the tape. Yeah, I'm sure Will Levis is going to make some – Wild spinning roll out of the pocket, like that Zach, like that Zach Wilson throw, the, yeah. the, the, the the throw that probably put Zach Wilson up at number two. Will yeah. Levis is going to do one of those. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. I want to know what type of dirt Will Levis's agent has on Mel Kiper for him to be given uh, Will Levis the Jimmy Clausen treatment. I was listening to uh, First Draft uh, their podcast with um, with him and McShay and Field Yates the other day and. He was saying how Will Levis is his number one player in this draft. Wow, number one player overall in this draft. So 
Number one quarterback too. So it's it's time for him to move on. Yeah, well, well, he said that if if Clawson wasn't a starting quarterback in this league, you know, for for years to come or in five years, that he would retire, and that's not that didn't happen. So he, I don't know how much of it is them sharing agents and things like that. I know there was a connection with Clawson's, but it's just man, you have some respect and you know stop trying to throw wild stuff at the wall just to get clicks and views i i hate that about the media um and that's something that we try not to do we try to just give you what our thoughts are and if we're wrong we'll own it if we're right then hey we haven't rubbed it in many people's faces <laughs> but something you will always pull receipts you can always find our stuff we're not going and scrubbing twitter or anything guys we spent an hour and a half on this. Any closing thoughts before we get out of here and wrap this up? Um, Will Levis well, is not good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't fall for anything. Uh, no, nah, man, but just um, if you've listened to us a few times, just make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. Um, it's at 704cast, obviously, and then each of our personal ones as well. Um, we're always interacting on there. So um, just give us a follow interact with us we we like interacting on twitter um so yeah yep lots of good draft content to come and uh welcome back to carolina to the rikes yep absolutely rikers, rikers. rikers island as i saw salesman say uh on twitter is what he what he called the bank now so i thought that was pretty funny got a laugh out of that yeah go give ahead a fair shot man just yeah. give him a fair shot uh, be objective stop pushing personal feelings and agendas it's time to move on and, and get like his his shot. Excited about what's to come. Uh, like Corey said, follow us on social media. It's been cool to, to interact with you guys and uh, to see our following go up. And, um, you know, we're happy to, to be partnering with the Pigskin Podcast Network. I mean, those guys have done a lot of great things for us already. And um, we're trying to stay regular for you guys uh, with draft season coming. We're going to keep it the same. Um Follow Wes and Corey. They're always putting out videos um, and, and analysis away from our main account. I just try to put up a lot of stuff that I see throughout the day um, from senior bowls or just highlights or interesting articles and news. So, um, you know, interact with all of us. We all do certain things um, and we try to just bring you guys as much information as possible. And like I said, we don't have any sources or anything. We're just regular old fans just be, trying to be knowledgeable and, and talk about this team a little bit. So hopefully better days are ahead. Give Frank Reich a fair shot. And uh, we're headed in the right direction, it seems. Actually, got a competent NFL staff. Interested to see how the hires shake down over the next uh, week. We'll be uh, be with you guys uh, next week. And uh, hopefully we'll have more to break down. If not, then we'll look ahead to uh, free agents and the, the draft class a little bit. So that'll do it for us, guys. Wes, any, anything you want to add before we get out of here? Later. See you guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>